Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. This is Dr. Rob Weiss. I am on Sex, Love, and Addiction. Did you guys know that we have almost a million downloads? That's how many people are struggling with these issues. So if you're feeling alone or you believe that you can't find other folks who can help you or understand what you're going through, give them a copy of the podcast. Tell them where it is and they can listen to it. It's free. And I think people are finding it really helpful. In any case, I have some colleagues and friends who I just personally love and have warm feelings for, and they're really good therapists. So I want to introduce Michelle Safier and Alan Katz, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. And why don't we start with Michelle? So, hey, Michelle. By the way, how long have we known each other? Hey, Rob. I since 1997. 07-17. I have to count on my fingers. So that's like a while ago is what I think it was. A long time ago. So welcome. Tell us a little bit about you, your work, why you're here, you know, how we know each other, stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, I always start, Rob, with working with you and being your working with you at SRI on this job training. It ignited a passion in me for, um, you know, working with folks that really are wounded children. Really. And you were licensed when we first met. I mean, you've been licensed a very long time. I've been licensed for 30 years. Wow. More than me. I'm 25. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So what do we talk about? I want to, Alan, I'm not forgetting about you, but I just wanted to say like, Michelle, you weren't working in the field of addiction when we met and you really started to look at that. And I think you ran into a whole set of knowledge that you didn't have. It was like a whole world opened up for you. And some people say, I don't want anything to do with that world. And some people say, wow, this is interesting. And that was you. You know, Rob, I'll tell you. What I always think about and still now think about this couple that I worked with before I was licensed and this sweet young couple that came in because they loved one another and couldn't figure out why he was acting out, right? One night mm-hmm. stands and I did a little bit of work with them and then very quickly, this is, I'm a marriage family therapist. This is what we were trained to do, to identify the partner and, you know, sexuality issues as the problem. So we sort of, I did, we did the intake and what we really got to was she was, she had childhood sexual abuse and mm-hmm. dismissed him, worked with her 
maybe she stuck around for two, three sessions. And I've never forgotten that couple. Because you wish you could have brought them back in and work with them differently. Um, I think we all have those feelings, you know. But you know what? Had you, you wouldn't have been ready. They wouldn't have been ready. So wait, I want to say to hi to Alan. Alan, cats, are you, where are you right now? I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. Ah, you've had a lot of storms and scary things happen. Tell us about Alan, another person I think is amazing. Well, I, I spent about uh, 30 years uh, as an adult in my own business. And at age 58, uh, my therapist said, she found out I was helping people with sex and porn addiction. She said, well, why don't you become a therapist? And I said, well, I'm 58 years old. I can't go back to school now and become a therapist all of a sudden. She said, well, you're going to be 60 anyway, so you might as well go ahead and do it. Because uh, I, was, I was having really good results, you know, just helping people uh, through the SLAA programs. And uh, it was one of the best decisions I ever made because uh, now I, um, I feel that sense of helping people. I feel a sense of purpose and meaning in my life that I never really uh, had growing up. You know, it's interesting. I just want to say, I know we're going to get to the topics, but I know a lot of therapists who started on business. They were attorneys, they were running banks, they were whatever. And they realized that they weren't getting the fulfillment that they wanted out of their work. And I think it's very brave. And they decided to go back to school and, you know, change the whole thing. But your therapist was right because you're very good at what you do. Can you tell, because Michelle did a little bit, what do you do in Memphis? Like, what do you work on? What kind of clients do you see? I uh, see mostly. Um people with sex addiction or porn addiction, people with uh, anxiety, depression, trauma. That's really what I specialize in. And um, I've been so solely in private practice for about three years, and I'm just really busy and um, just really enjoy it. And I, I do a Monday night group for sex and love addicts, online and in person. I just wanted to say to any of the 58 to 60 year olds out there, Alan, you and I stand up for the crowd because I got my PhD, I went, I got my PhD at 58 and, you know, I was saying to myself, I'm never going to do this. I'm too old, blah, blah, blah. I'm so grateful to have, I loved studying, going back to it and re-engaging it. And, you know, we know the sex addiction stuff from the inside out, but to really get it from the outside in, I think is, you know, really, really helpful. And Alan, you've done that. And I know you help lots of people. And Michelle, I didn't ask where you were, but you should tell everybody where you're and how you know each other. I'd like to know that, too. Yes, I'm in uh, the Philadelphia area. And, you know, I didn't mention this, but although I treat people that struggle with sex addiction, love addiction and betrayed partners, I think of myself as a trauma. I think of this as trauma work and I see myself as a trauma therapist. What does that mean? Can you help? Because Alan kind of mentioned that, too. For the people struggling with sex addiction. You know, the sex of the acting out, the acting out is to me, it's like the, the stuff you see floating on the top of the ocean. You know, it's the little flower. It's the tip of the iceberg. Exactly. The, the tip mm -hmm. of the iceberg. And what drives it is childhood trauma, however it happens. And what I see are, I'll tell you how I think about it. You know, the movie Big, Tom Hanks, years ago. He was at the end of the movie. He gets his wish and he gets to be a kid again. And the shot is his, this little kid in grown-up clothes, right? Because he was a grown-up. And that's how I see a lot of these folks I work with is the behavior is the behavior. But really, there are these little wounded boys and, and girls trying to survive. 
So well, I think that one of my colleagues said to me, um, we turn boys into men over and over and over again. And I think that's very true. And they weren't able to become men because they were so stunted by what they grew up with. But I want to ask you, Alan, so, you know, we have, you and I have empathy for sex addicts. Michelle certainly does. And we're looking at it from a trauma perspective. But spouses don't feel that way, do they, Alan? They don't say, oh, my poor husband or wife, they have this trauma issue. And they didn't mean to do all this. It's just that they're hurting, nor do I expect them to. So how do you balance? Like, what do you, what do you say to a, a spouse when they walk in and say, I don't give a poop about what happened to him or her. Look what they've done to me. Right. So I, I empathize with, with the wife. I try to explain to her a little bit about addiction and trauma. And then I reiterate that, well, this is not, not saying this to blame you, but you know, if, you, if you've been in a good relationship, then there's obviously another reason why somebody would do these things and go off and be with somebody else or look at pornography or, or whatever. And so I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's right. It, it was a choice, but there is such a thing as, as addiction, and that's what we have to look at. That's how I'm going to try to help your spouse, and that's why I need your feedback as the betrayed partner to just be able to help your spouse. It's not about you needing help necessarily at this juncture. You know, Maybe in the future we can look into parts of the relationship. But, but for now, um, I'm going to help your husband or, or wife, however, whatever it is, um, by um, doing the skills and the things that we know work for this type of, of issue of uh, out of control sexual behavior. Well, what I think you're saying, you know, something I really emphasize in pro-dependence is that, you know, spouse wants to look at anything that's wrong with them. I mean, this, they were victimized by someone. And, you know, Michelle, you were saying earlier, you know, pro-dependence has been helpful for you. And what I think is interesting is it came from the women who struggle with this because for years we said alcoholic wives, well, they just make things difficult. And that's why these guys, some of them drink, but there was no woman or person who was married to a sex addict who said, how could I possibly have anything to do? Or a lot of them said, how could I have anything to do? How, how bad could our relationship be that he slept with 65 people? You know, there's no way I could be responsible for that. And I think Alan's right in the sense that we're not going to do intensive therapies with spouses and they don't need that they need support they need comfort um, unfortunately addicts as alan said are a little bit more troubled and they do need to be supported not necessarily by the spouse but we can step in there so alan you know you talked about a little bit about having been in that world and i assume that you personally maybe know some things about the recovery process yes so how do you transition from a person who's helping people in a sort of you know kind of not non-professional way to now moving to I'm in this role and I have this job and I, you know, it's different, right? Very much. What I, I think I give to the, t bring to the table is my being 70 years old and having a lot of, you know, life to, to share with people. And I, I think I'm, I'm effective when I tell stories. I, I love to tell stories and uh, humor. I use all those things, and, you know, so it's not this cut and dry, just 12 steps, which, which are essential, you know, but uh, in therapy, I, I try to use stories and metaphors and humor to try to show them that mm -hmm. I, 
really do understand what they're going through. And, and uh, in some cases, I've even been there before, you know, where mm-hmm. they are. And I, I really do, when I say I understand, I really do understand. And that building that empathy out with the client is, is essential to um, making them feel comfortable enough to, to, to discuss some of these, you know, shameful things. And I want to turn it back to Michelle, but I just want to say that I so appreciate the use of humor because I've been teaching about sexual problems for 30 years. And if it isn't, it's not that it's funny or fun, but you have to take people out of the seriousness of it and kind of be a little light. Otherwise, it's such heavy betrayal, cheating. They don't have to. They're in enough pain, but we can give them permission to be a little bit less their world hasn't been completely shattered. There are worse things that can happen, and we're we're on their side. So, Michelle, what do you think about all this um, in terms of recovering people, doing the work, becoming therapists, and the use of humor? Because um, you're a funny girl. <laughs> you're a funny woman. Thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. the girl. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I actually uh, recommend partners watch a comedy show. Like one of the tools to just kind of cope is like dance. Watch a comedian get because you're right. It is it's overwhelming and it's well, you know, the more they hyper focus on it, the deeper they get into the abyss of certain betrayal and and so you've got to lighten it up a little bit. And I also like the use of metaphor. It just helps them to detach a little bit and look at their situation, hopefully rather than being in it. Well, that's kind of what Alan was talking about. You both were, is that, you know, a part of what's difficult with this population with you, you sex and love addicts and people with intimacy disorders is if my spouse was alcoholic, I could have a lot of empathy for that. I might be mad that they took the money or they drank with the kids in the car or they got a DUI. I mean, but that's not the same as someone going out and have sex, having sex with other people. It's much, much harder to bend your head around. This isn't about me. This isn't about my body. This isn't about me not being desirable. This isn't about me being unpleasant. You know, this isn't about me. And I think it's much easier in some level despite codependency and the ills that has brought for a partner to say, you know, his drinking, her using is not my fault. But somehow partners, and Alan, maybe you can come on this, partners take on this very personal responsibility that they weren't enough in some way. And by the way, the addicts reinforce this, like, well, if you were thinner and you were, you know, they, they pile right on because it makes them easier to act out. They can blame someone else. But what are your thoughts about that in terms of the spouses? Well, that's why I try to teach, teach the betrayer to be empathic because most of the time after the spouse, after the betrayed partner continues to express her anger, the betrayer, the addict becomes very uh, defensive and very angry sometimes at why are you still bringing this up? And I try to switch that from you've got to be empathic rather than defensive because the main thing your your spouse or partner wants to know is that you really do understand what you've put her through and not just to say the word yeah i understand what's going on you know that's not enough it's it's i understand that now you feel that you're less than and and that because of what i did you feel like you're not enough and that's what i try to i get across to them and it's really a it's really a, a tremendous shift for them to be able to think in those terms because most most men that I deal with have lots of trouble with uh, learning how to be empathic. 
Well, yeah, I think empathy is, and that's what these spouses want. In fact, I have to say, and maybe you want to comment on this because you guys wrote a book and I want to talk about it because it's really useful. But um, every time I hear from a spouse, you know, the thing that makes them the most upset, really, I mean, we read letters in treatment of seeking integrity, we read a letter that a spouse might have sent. And we ask them to present their their experience of the problem. And 90% of those letters are not about sex. 90% of those letters are not about cheating. They're about honesty. I want to know what's going on in our life. I don't care what the F it is. I want to make decisions based on reality, and I don't know what reality is. And I think that the addicts think, oh, you're going to hate me for everything I did. No, I'm going to hate you for how you've acted with me. They, of course, assume that someone else is getting what they're not getting, and the truth is that no one's getting it. But Michelle, you have a, I'm bouncing back and forth because I love talking to both of you. Um, I guess you could talk to each other, but that's probably not that useful. But anyway, you've done a lot of that already. Yeah. We've done a lot of that already. Okay. Michelle, what are your thoughts about the whole betrayal, taking it personally? And Yeah. You know, so I see this as an attachment trauma for the partners. Can you explain? Because I don't know that everyone knows what attachment means. Our primary relationship is as intimate as uh, it is it's as unique as the family of origin as attachment to mother father it is the only relationship you know uh, people will say no one else treats me like this everyone else i'm when i'm at work i'm a good guy when i'm here i'm a good guy but you're the one that puts me down makes me crazy <laughs> and it's it so and it it is the primary attachment it is the person that has my back the per, my beloved the one wherever I am in the world, this is my home. So another word might be bond. Absolutely. It's a it's or wiring that you share have built together or something like that. Right. It is moment every moment that one spends with their spouse, the vulnerability, the intimacy, the having children, every intimate moment builds a foundation. A relationship in the same way that as when we're as a child, every experience builds a foundation that that defines our value, our worth. It's a model, and not just a model of of what kind of person we can be, but we're also watching how do people relate and what kind of what is love, what is connection, what is an attachment. And unfortunately, a lot of the men I work with have not really learned that. But how do you? help a spouse understand that empathy may not be forthcoming. That's a challenge. And I'll tell you, I understand that need to find safety and to get some ground under their feet in the beginning. What they do in that first stage of looking and asking, questioning is is a result of the breadth and depth of the attachment. This is their beloved. This is the, the rending of the bond. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I help them to understand what what the reality is, what they can really expect. And the most important is we just kind of get them through and the first phase until they get the information they stabilize. need. Stabilize. Stabilize. Mm-hmm. Breathe. Mm-hmm. Just get them to that point as best we can so that we can send them on their own journey because they're there are i think our field and i think it's natural to measure one's worth based on how the spouse is doing so as long as the addict is in recovery i'm okay as long as i find out every detail of what they were doing i'm okay 
but they it's a sort of for the spouses i think there's this if i find if this happens if we then it's all going to be better and what they don't realize is it's never going to be the same as it was exactly and for women this is the death of the disney dream you know the dream that women are fed as little girls the prince will come and you know my perfect. unless you're lesbian in which case you're more looking for your your princess Very or your true. or your butch female but the but by the way the bonds are no different no matter whether you love a man a woman something in between it doesn't matter Absolutely. bonds are bonds right and and disney has affected the zeitgeist of our like that's the expectation whether regardless of our gender identity or sexual preference it's we're going to live happily ever after well, I do have to say there are times in my life when I wanted to be Cinderella, but that's a whole different story we don't have to go into right now. So guys, you wrote a book and on the topic, I think that we are leading toward, which is the experience of how when you love somebody, what it can do to you and how to heal it um, when they've broken, essentially broken your heart. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. Folks, they named their book, which I think is interesting, they named it Ambushed by Betrayal. And I love the word ambushed because it's sort of like it came out of nowhere. You thought everything was fine. You're walking through the woods and all of a sudden this tiger comes jumping out and you're not prepared for it and you don't know what to do and it's terrifying. So let me ask Alan, like, or I want to say Mr. Katz, how did you come up with the word ambushed? How did you guys come to that as a, as a co-writers? Actually, Michelle came up with that. So, well, but you accepted it. You agreed with it. What came on for you that said, "Yeah, that is what I think they're going through." Well, that is what they're going through. They, you know, people, couples think that everything's okay. You know, and, and addicts especially are very good at compartmentalizing and pushing things away, and so they can be having an affair and they can come home and the wife thinks everything is fine, you know, and we're we're having a great, great sex life and we're having a great discussions and the children are doing wonderful. But then uh, all of a sudden she finds this out. And and like Michelle said, her whole world is crushed and she thinks it's it's all been a a big lie. And what, what can she, what can she trust uh, moving forward? And so it, it really is an ambush of, just the whole relationship mm-hmm. and something that once they follow the pattern in the book, they, they can get back to maybe starting a new type of relationship uh, with someone who's honest. and Well, hopefully their partner becomes and evolves into who they had always thought they would be. But you're right, Michelle, the original belief, this understandable, naive belief that somehow when they go out in the world, they're never, they're always going to have my back. They're never going to let me down. The person I see leaving the house is the same person that's out in the world. And once you realize that someone can hurt you, can let you down and not give it a second thought, that is also a, a form of ambush because you are not who I thought you were. And how did that happen? You know, but I wanted to read the subtitle of your book so everyone can hear it. It's called Ambushed by Betrayal, 
the survival guide for betrayed partners on their hero's journey to healthy intimacy. So ambushed is not the only thing that's in there. It's really about, so talk to me about the hero's journey. So I know what that is for men. That used to be a big thing in the 90s. You know, we're working on our men's journey and our hero's journey. And how did it get over here on this side of the table? You know, they're so disempowered. And our field for so long has focused on the person with the addiction. And partners are sort of sent to an Essanon meeting or, or maybe a therapist who doesn't necessarily understand. And they take on this role of uh, it, it strengthens, it fortifies that it's their fault in some way. Well, codependency certainly does that. What's wrong with you that you ended up with this person? What's wrong with you? You stayed this person. I mean, that's why I wrote codependency. But this, this, is it more step-by-step? Is it more? Yes. So what I got, Rob, and I was struggling to kind of find my, the voice and kind of where, you know, where we were going. And I realized that in the same spirit as pro-dependency, we want them to be empowered. We want them to own, to face their darkness, to face what it means for them to have this happen to them, to help them to reclaim their life. They, rather than kind of being on the same ladder below the addict, and as the addict climbs up, then they're going to be okay, right? They, uh, it's a very separate journey, regardless of how the addict is, whether he keeps climbing or falls down, that there is strength. There, there is beauty in this broken life, in how their heart has been broken. It's, it's for me, I don't want it to be the story of their life. I want it to be a story, but it can become the story, what you did to me. And the hero's journey is actually takes that and says, well, let's look at why you're willing to do that, to give the power to someone else. And what we're really doing, Alan and I met, by the way, in a psychodrama workshop. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So we use psychodrama in the, in the book to help to release, you know, the pain is in the body, right? So wait a minute, I have to stop you. You have to explain psychodrama because I don't know that everyone knows what that is either. I try to be really respectful that there are people who haven't been through therapy or they don't speak our therapy talk, you know, so. You're right. Alan, do you want to take that? So psychodrama is a form of experiential therapy, and experiential therapy basically means that we're going to do some role-playing. We're going to, instead of telling me about your problem, you're going to show me your problem, okay? In real time, like in front of me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if 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 we're in a group and I need to say something to my father, but I really can't say it to him personally because maybe dead. he's, maybe he's, he's dead. dead or or I just can't say it. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna have somebody in the group play your father and we're gonna have a little sign that says dad here. And he's gonna hold it up and this guy's gonna get to really pour out his his heart about what he really needs to say to his dad, you know, and his mom, you know. So that's um so that's just one little piece of it. But then we actually do a, a thing called role reversal where we were now I'm going to put him in this. He's going to be the dad. And now oh, he yeah. has to answer what the son just said. And that, that, that kind of ties in with what we're talking about as far as his empathy, because now he can, he can put himself in his father's position and say, what, what do you think your father would say about this? How would he empathize 
How are you going to see it from somebody else's eyes and start to heal? He can hear what he always longed to hear, right? He can give the words to someone else, but he finally gets to hear it. Right. So how do we how do we doing that in the book, though? We're getting them to do certain exercises in the book that get them to really dig deep into what's what's really going on. What are some things you really need to say, you want to say, and finally getting it out? Like like Michelle said, right? The body is the body keeps the score. And when we can physically get the words out of our body, it, it helps us to start heal. And the emotion out of our body. So in in psychodrama, we a, a partner that's angry, we bring out a tackle dummy and have them express their anger through their body and through mm-hmm. um, their breath. So they can finally throw him against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> they can finally release the pain in their heart. So I, I sort of, it's important for me not to devalue the person with the addiction. It's a respect. They're human beings. Dignity and respect. So when we're doing an anger release, we're not, we don't have a picture of him and hitting him with a bat. We're saying like, <laughs> I have anger. But we want to. I know. That, that helps in the moment, but it doesn't bring long-term relief and make space for forgiveness and for love. So to me, psychodrama, and by the way, I, li- I like doing with the addicts because if they're men, men often have trouble expressing emotion, but in an experience, they will, it'll start to come out in a way because it isn't direct. They're not having to answer a question. So I know that it, it particularly works well with men, but you know, in the book, which I want to remind you guys is called, hold on a second. I'm going to look, I'm going to say it again, ambushed by betrayal, the survival guide for betrayed partners on their hero's journey to healthy intimacy If I'm reading this book and I'm not in therapy and I don't know if I'll ever go to therapy and this psychodrama thing sounds kind of like you need somebody to help you through it or it has to be a room full of people playing roles or or I need to be guided like in a play by a director. How do I work on these issues if I'm not in that setting? You know, actually, uh, I agree with you. It's not that complicated. What we want, you know, just in terms of getting of, of releasing of releasing the the hurt, the pain, the um, unworthiness. What we want is for them to kind of put it all together. So there are a lot of questions and lists and and looking at memories. We want them to take all of that pain and physically do something with it. Tear a ceremony, tear up the paper, burn it. A ceremony to mark the ending of one phase to allow for space for, to build a new relationship. I don't believe that, that in reclaiming a relationship, how can you reclaim a relationship that had a broken foundation? You've got to understand, grieve, and acknowledge the ending of that relationship to make space to build a new solid relationship. So the exercises really are about feeling into the pain, it, it, releasing it, screaming, dancing, Whatever is needed to exorcise, it's a ritual to mark an ending. And then we go back and ask them, what are they going to go back into that relationship and reclaim? Because it's not all bad. You can't throw everything away, right? It's, a, it's our beloved. So they go back and take back what they want to bring into the new relationship. What's the beauty? So I was listening to Michelle talk about this process of venting 
through an experience. You know, what I know as a therapist, and I think you do too, is that anger is a Anger is the presenting issue. For some of us, it's, I don't want to say it's easier because it's very human, but it's more automatic to get angry because what's underneath is tremendous sadness and, and fear. And I'm wondering, Alan, do you help people find a way in ambush, I got to call it ambush now, to move underneath the anger to see that they're deeply sad and deeply grieving. And that's really, because, you know, if you look at the kind of like stages of grief, anger and rage is right in there. So do you move them from the anger to what's underneath? I get them to understand that when, you, when your trade partner is, is angry and yelling and getting out of control, that it really is about hurt and not, about, not necessarily about anger. It's coming out as anger, but it's really her hurt. And it really does help the, uh, the addict, the betrayer, to... Uh, to understand, to empathize and understand that this is really hurt. And it, they, they're able to kind of withstand the barrage sometimes, especially at the beginning, and, and realize that it's hurt. And that helps them empathize and helps them understand what's really going on. Well, I love that because that is the development of, of empathy. Is someone screaming at me and I start screaming back? That's not particularly empathic. If someone's yelling and I think, oh, that means they're in pain then I can say, I'm so sorry that you're yelling and feeling so hurt. And I feel terrible that I caused you that. Rather than reacting to it, you're asking them to empathize with their knowledge of what the spouse is, is, is more deeply going through. Because the anger is also that tip of the iceberg. Well, and their anger, we keep in mind that their anger is the only way they can protect their heart with the person that, that caused their pain. So if we can help them to see that the anger is really a shield and if they and what's under it is just vulnerable, loved and loved this vulnerable person who loves deeply. That's right. Wounded, mm-hmm. Who loves the addict deeply. But they still have to go through anger, right? I mean, they still have to say, I hate them. And, you know, we all we all run support groups and for partners and they you know, I remember, I have to say this, I used to run a support group for both the uh, both the cheaters and the partners had been cheated on on Saturday mornings. You may remember this, Michelle. And the guys would come in and they'd say, oh, this is really great because we're going to both go to this group and then we're going to both kind of feel better and we'll go to lunch after the group. And what the guys didn't realize is those people in that group were hating on those men. <laughs> they came out of there like, I want to kill them. And and the guys were like, well, I guess we're not having lunch today, you know, kind of. So they, you, they do need to do that, but not necessarily pointing that finger all the time. I hate to say we're out of time because I could talk to you guys all day long. I think you get it and you've got it. And I think Ambush lays that out for folks. Let me ask you, I just say to you, Alan, if people want to reach you, I know the book's available on Amazon and probably all outlets for books, but if someone wanted to reach you and and pick your brain or go to an online group or, or find out more information about what you do, how would they do that? Well, they can go to my website, which is um, alanjkatz.com, A-L-L-A-N-J-K-A-T-Z.com. And all my information is there. The books are there. Resources. My group that I have on Monday nights is there. So everything would be there. Great. I appreciate that. By the way, I wanted to say to you, Alan, that about age, that 
I think you want your therapist old and your attorneys young. <laughs> you know, you want us to have lots of experience, um, but the lawyers, they, they, they need to have the latest whatever's going on. So I think you're right. Our life experience, and I got to say, I look at people in their 20s like, oh, I know that. And when I look at people in their 30s, I'm like, oh, they're all in drama. Well, that's what your 30s is about. So it, it is nice to have that ability to look without judgment and say, well, that is an age and that's what they're going through. Lord knows what we're going through, but we can see other people. So, Michelle, if they want to reach you, um, Ms. Safier, how they, can they do that and find your work? They can find me on my website, traumahealingpa.com. Is that traumahealingta? Traumahealingpa, Pennsylvania. PA, like Pennsylvania. A is an apple. Okay. And what will they find there? My, the work I do, the, my partner groups, the addict groups, resources to help, tools to help them understand the issue, tools to help them through the crisis. Is there anything there about how great I am and what a wonderful <laughs> therapist I am and how much I've helped you in the past? I guess that's not there. Well, actually, well, we can talk about that. Actually, Rob, I, you mentored me in this work. And I do acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. In the well, book. you've got a lot. I'm kidding you, but I've seen, you know, Alan, when you watch somebody grow, I mean, Michelle, I knew you when you were a child <laughs> and now you're, you know, a, a, you're going to be a grandmother sometime soon. So I'm going to, I'm going to hope for that. <laughs> um, folks, thank you. I hope you pick up Ambush by Betrayal and really find your way through the rage and the disappointment and the hurt into your own healing. Thank you guys for being with me. And I hope we get to do this again. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.